Welcome to the Visegrad Inside podcast from Central Europe on Central Europe. I'm Filip Konopczyński, a lawyer and AI and emerging technologies expert at Panopticon Foundation. I strongly recommend Visegrad Inside podcast. It's a great source of information on, on the region. 18th of April, 2023, I'm Miles Maftian, Editorial Director. I'm here with Adam Yasser, Deputy Managing Editor of Visegrad Insight. Adam, we've had a lot of different developments in the region, but I think I wanted to focus today mostly on the transatlantic divide between CEE and the US. So a couple of stories I wanted to get into right off the bat. The one that was quite shocking last week was essentially the the US imposed sanctions on officials from the IIB and reports now that more sanctions could actually target these top Hungarian political figures. Meanwhile, Hungary actually announced its withdrawal from the Russian-controlled IIB. So I think that this is pretty interesting because we haven't necessarily seen so much action going against Hungarians in some time. We've had the EU basically speaking in its way, but the US has kind of deterred itself from speaking against any sort of uh, rule of law uh, problems and, and issues related to this in, in the aftermath of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. So it should be really interesting to see where that plays out here. Um, apparently, the U.S., uh, in the words of, the, of their ambassador in, in Budapest, had been trying to persuade Hungary to, uh, to block this Russian bank um for some time now seeing it as a as a sort of venue of collecting information and and, and exerting influence um across the region um and that had been falling on deaf ears um so uh, so finally the americans just just tightened the screws by by imposing sanctions on the bank and um and the urban government just made a u-turn uh almost the next day um so the interesting thing here which which you alluded to is that you know democratic backsliding had been noticed uh by the americans in hungary um but that was not really the decisive issue the decisive issue is is hungary's position on on the ukraine war and it's uh, manifestly close relationship with with Putin, and and a and a role of a of a spoiler in in some of the initiatives both in the EU and at NATO uh, to coordinate uh, support for Ukraine and to put pressure on 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 Russia through sanctions or other measures. So I think uh, what it all boils down to is that that Washington lost lost basically patience with with Orban in in respect to Ukraine and that's why they're signaling to uh, to the government there that um, it won't tolerate um, this kind of behavior for much longer but on top of this uh, the issue with the grain imports so the EU rejected this ban on Ukrainian grain imports that was introduced by Poland and Hungary um, essentially saying, you know, having these unilateral moves affects trade and, and this just simply cannot be tolerated, right? So this is interesting because we, for a while, we haven't seen Hungary and Poland on the same side. And they've been sitting on complete opposite sides of the spectrum in reaction to Russia's war in Ukraine. But here we go. We're, we're reminded once again that 
these two illiberal democratic governments do sort of remain aligned when it comes to their internal challenges. So why don't you break this down a little bit and and give us a sense of of what happened here? Oh, what a task. Thank you very much. Um, the fact that Poland and Hungary aligned on on um, on Ukraine uh, grain exports uh, that sort of should remind everyone that uh, that these governments have basic nationalist instincts. Uh, you know, Poland has positioned itself as this champion of Ukraine um, during a recent visit by President Zelensky to to Warsaw. Mm, uh, the Polish authorities were were making a sort of far fetched romantic statements about the brotherhood of nations and how Poland and Ukraine will become sort of almost like a community inside a wider European community. Some analysts have been speculating about even uh, recreating the Polish-Lithuanian kingdom um, with Ukraine uh, being the, the sort of second part of, 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 this, of this commonwealth. And, and then, you know, suddenly there is a U-turn on, on an issue which in the grand scheme of things is, is a minor uh, issue, which is uh, grain imports from Ukraine. So uh, as soon as a, as a certain point, uh, a pain point was reached for the Polish government and made a U-turn and, and banned uh, imports uh, of grain from Ukraine. And, you know, th- th- there are several issues here. One is obviously that <clears throat> the government has come under pressure from the farm lobby, uh, which is the, which is a, a very important um, electorate group and, and constituent for, for the ruling party. Um, the second is that, you know, grain exports are a vital lifeline for Ukraine, which is deprived of, of, of income and needs, badly needs foreign income. So, uh, so, so grain imports are a source of revenue. So, you know, Poland was, was saying that, you know, we, we, the Western community and everybody should be supporting Ukraine fi- financial and middle re- in, 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 in sort of military deliveries. And suddenly they're cutting off an important source of revenue for Ukraine. So there's a certain contradiction here. Uh, and the third is that, <clears throat> well, you know, if, 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 if Poland was serious about becoming a champion of Ukraine inside the EU, uh, and and really supporting EU membership for Ukraine, uh, this just gives you a taste of um, contradictions that the, that the government is going to run into once um, Ukraine's memberships really becomes a, a point in the agenda. Because as a major uh, agricultural producer, uh, Ukraine in in the EU will will certainly be uh, very competitive. Uh, towards Polish farmers and farmers in, in other parts of the EU. So, you know, it, it all boils down to, to inherent contradictions in, in how the nationalist government in Poland is, is approaching Ukraine, is approaching um, its farm sector, and, 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 and also it demonstrates how fragile this claim to leadership is. Yeah, I think, the, I think another idea here is... is- Look, we understand you're trying to safeguard the agricultural sector and, and so forth, but there's sort of a misopportunity to actually be this distribution center for the EU, right? Which would essentially align with other strategic partnerships that Poland has tried to to have, like the Three Seas Initiative and 
certain things along these lines. So missed opportunity here, but was there any gained opportunity with uh, the Prime Minister Morawiecki's visit to the U.S.? Well, that, that, that was a strange vis visit too, right? And Morawiecki uh, went there when Joe Biden was in Ireland. So, uh, so he met uh, Vice President Kamala Harris. You know, there were all sorts of pleasantries there. Uh, but it seems that, you know, Morawiecki's primary objective was to discuss uh, armaments and, and nuclear cooperation on, on, on building a nuclear plant in Poland. Uh, as far as I could see, not real progress has been, uh, has been achieved on, on the nuclear issue because uh, financing um, this, um, this power plant um, remains uh, obscure how, how Poland intends to finance this uh, and, and whether there will be any significant American participation. Um, what has since emerged is that uh, uh, the Americans, the Exim Bank and, and other institutions controlled by, by the U.S. government are going to support the development of these small reactors, which is an experimental technology that the Polish uh, major energy company Orlen, state-owned, uh, is trying to develop. But that's an experimental technology, and, and we don't even know if, if, if this is going to be successful. As far as I understand, not a single of such small reactors is uh, is operational yet in on a commercial uh, basis so it's an experiment it's it's good that poland is experimenting with the technology but it doesn't address the 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 main problem which is uh, uh phasing out coal and replacing it with 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 proper uh, with a proper nuclear um power station on that uh, there was there was very little um, and then Morawiecki made made an, a number of statements about the partnership with the U.S. in a sort of broad strategic terms, and of course this 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 came on the heels of of Macron's um, renewed push for for Europe's uh, uh, autonomy, strategic autonomy, and and Morawiecki in the states made a point of stressing that. Instead of looking for, for autonomy for Europe, Europe should be aligning even more closely with the United States and, and suggest as a strategic partnership with the US and offered Poland to be the pillar of, 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 of that. Well, you know, again, this is not, nothing really that surprising. Poland has seen the US for the past 30 years as a, as a sort of, uh, uh, indispensable element of, of European security. Um, and, uh, consecutive governments have, have been saying this. Uh, so there's little surprise there. What was surprising was that, um, Morawiecki followed th th these comments about strategic autonomy by making a very complicated argument about the need to support Ukraine. Um, uh, he, he basically said that uh, unless the West continues to, to support Ukraine and unless Ukraine wins the war with Russia, uh, then Taiwan is next. And that was, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm just wondering to whom he was addressing this. <laughs> was he addressing this to, to Europeans, as we initially thought, and, and he was contrasting this to, to Macron's ambiguity over Taiwan? Or was Morawiecki trying to speak to the sort of Republican, um, part of the Republican establishment, which does not support US involvement in Ukraine? 
but in any case, it 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 sort of it was a very far-fetched argument to say if Ukraine falls, then Taiwan is next. I don't think even U.S. officials uh, make uh, this connection, or, or or that this is a logical consequence or a strategic consequence of the of a of a possible defeat of Ukraine. Um, so. I just, I'm just not quite sure where Morawiecki got this idea, <laughs> and and of course it 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 caused um, it it um, it made uh, the Chinese absolutely furious, and in a strong worded uh, statement, the Chinese embassy in Warsaw called these remarks unacceptable, and 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 really really was very critical uh, of of Morawiecki's statements. The interesting thing here is that Poland has been had been earlier sort of ambiguous on 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 china on taiwan um and focused on ukraine and you you could even get the impression that it sees um ukraine as as a regional issue and did not see this alliance between china and russia as a challenge to the west overall and then suddenly morawiecki makes this connection with taiwan but it, again, in a context which suggests you need to focus on Ukraine, otherwise you all also risk Taiwan. So, so it's 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 a very weird um, way of phrasing it, and and I'm just wondering if if this Chinese backlash is going to have an effect. Great points. This certainly we we are going to keep our eyes and ears on to see what happens here. Ahead of the AI vote in the EU Parliament, we sit down with Philip Konopczynski in the second part of the podcast to discuss the intersection of technology and policymaking in the EU. How are rapid technological advancements like ChatGPT making it difficult for the European Union lawmakers to actually come up with a consensus on landmark AI laws that are in the making? Listen in for the answer. So I'm here with Philip Konopczynski. Philip, you've worn many hats in the past, right? But right now you're you're at the Panopticon Foundation and you specialize in the, the regulation of artificial intelligence and emerging technologies. AI itself, I, I'm, I was going to ask you later on, and we can get to that, whether there are actual particularities to, to the region, because generally when we have guests on, we're talking about uh, specific political, economic, what have you, events related to the region. But I think the point is, is like, let's start with the bombshell with with that a lot of our listeners know about chat GPT, right? I'd probably say that this is one of the first moments, even for me, that that I became more aware of what AI can actually do and how it can be used or applied on a daily basis. So like any good uh, journalist, I went to chat GPT this morning and I asked it, are you dangerous? And what did say? <laughs> the response was, Chat GPT is not dangerous on its own, but like any technology, its safety depends on how it's used. It has both beneficial and harmful potential uses. So it's important to be aware of the risks and benefits of AI and use it responsibly. So first question, obviously, is it a high risk tool uh, that's going to be used to further spread misinformation? And is the EU's attempt to curb it? already too late both the discussion and the, the the legislation is a risk-based approach right so uh the first uh, the first category of of uses of ai 
that are the most dangerous and should be forbidden is the list of prohibited uses of, mm-hmm. of AI. And I'm talking about things as uh, systems that look and find potential vulnerabilities in marginalized groups or, right. or systems that are uh, being used to uh, evaluate, to assess and evaluate uh, citizens on the basis very similar to what we know as the social credit system in China. Right. So this is the, and of course there are other other examples and there is a discussion, ongoing discussion, which uh, applications of AI should be banned totally, right. so, so on the prohibited list. Then there is the high risk use of, of AI, yeah. which is another discussion. Which could be used very for military fiery. purposes. Um, I mean, it's interesting, but you mentioned the military. According to the AI Act, the military use and defense use of, of AI system won't be covered. It's not within the scope. Right. And the current discussion, particularly between the parliaments, European Parliament's approach and the European Council mm-hmm. approach, mm-hmm. is very much focused on the... I mean, one of the questions is focused, uh, let's say, that the, the disagreement in the, during the trilogue uh, might uh, pop up is the fact that the Council wants a total exemption for the national security reasons, right. national security purposes, which, as we all know, in Central and Eastern Europe, yeah. can be, uh, you know, like uh, it basically can serve as a loophole. Yeah. Mm, with with cases such as Pegasus, where mm-hmm. where allegedly, of course, but the state was uh, surveilling and, and and in a way spying on. Yeah, and we hear more opposition and civic society leaders, judges who've been criticizing the government. There is a huge threat, and I'm pointing to the to the Central and Eastern European right. angle, the VI angle. Well, there is there is a potential for abuse of especially high risk or even banned I mean, prohibited AI systems uh, by the state or actors who act on their behalf. Mm-hmm. And this is the perspective that we as Panopticon would like to bring to the table. And, and we're fighting for that because very often it's, it's hard to persuade our Western colleagues, and I'm talking not, not, not just politicians or experts, I'm talking about civic society leaders. Mm-hmm. It's very, uh, very hard to um, explain a situation where uh, the biggest media group is being um, run by the biggest petroleum company, right. uh, who is also being uh, run by, uh, you know, like governing parties, politician yeah. with no yeah. particular experience on, on, on uh, such such scale or, or, or in businesses of such of such uh, power and, and potential as, as Orlen is. We're getting very close to the final countdown in the European Parliament. And the discussions taking place um, in the IMCO and LIBE commissions are uh, very, very fierce. We hope that by the end of April, there will be a final vote in the in those committees. And then, given that happens, uh, there will be a final plenary vote at the end of May or the beginning of June. And if uh, such scenario takes place, then perhaps by the end of the year, the final piece of legislation will be accepted by uh, by the Commission, the Parliament, and um, and the Council, and in 2024 we might be expecting a new European AI law. And uh, if that takes place, I hope it's going to be uh, the beginning of a new chapter of of not just uh, regulations of AI, but 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 AI as a technology, because um, the the challenges are are uh, quite. Um, quite um, demanding, but we've, as a societies, as, as societies and as, as, as civilizations, we've been uh, facing even um, even harder problems to to solve. I'm talking about nuclear 
energy, I'm talking about um, dangerous pathogens and, and viruses. Like we've been able to deal with anthrax and uh, and with a hydrogen bomb, then perhaps we can also find a way to make this uh, super smart analytical uh, machine, which is GPT or, or other uh, AI systems, uh, to also work for our benefits and not necessarily uh, kill us all. So that's 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 something I'm looking forward to in in next years. Actually, it's a good question that you talk about these larger mm, tech companies and so forth because I was kind of trying to to understand or figure out how these big tech companies like Google and and Microsoft how they're reacting to this potential regulation because I, I know that Microsoft's chief responsible AI officer she was essentially suggesting that the AI Act should maintain its focus on high-risk use cases, right? Um, but her views on the regulation of general-purpose AI systems like ChatGPT, are these more typically what we're seeing in the discussions in the EU now, or how is this working? Uh, well, uh, go back uh, into the past for, for, to the past for, for a second. Mm -hmm. In the original European Council's version, there was no provision there was no category of general purpose AI. Right. it has been added by the council right although with a very limited scope mm -hmm. and uh, from what we've learned and what we've gathered over the last couple of weeks mm -hmm. and, and even even earlier um, even earlier today uh, is the fact that uh, the, the the discussion on general purpose AI is uh, gaining traction right. Uh, there are new um, compromise amendments being proposed by uh, by the representatives of uh, particularly um, two uh, political groups in the European Parliament, which is uh, the EPP and uh, the Renew. The risks are are quite large. And uh, what you asked about specifically Microsoft, and yeah, Google, yeah, yeah, which is um, or just the just lobbying, the lobbying leg of, of these bigger that's, tech that's companies. That's a fascinating. That's a fascinating, completely different angle because yeah. in a way. Google as well as uh, as well as Meta, so so Facebook, yeah, yeah. were uh, taken over over the last couple of years by OpenAI, right. which used to be in foundation um, working in, um, in 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 a more open scientific way, collaborating with different researchers, uh, publishing the results of their um, of their of their um, you know scientific endeavors and. Mm -hmm. and, and publishing their work in general. Then they turned into a quasi-private company uh, and uh, were being taken over by Microsoft. Right. So at this point, uh, OpenAI is very close, um, works very closely with Microsoft. So in a way, we should be talking kind about them talking as, about as just, just one Subsidiary. entity. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, 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 I think it's Jan LeCun from Meta, a brilliant mathematician and a vice, vice, vice president of Meta or vice CEO of Meta that said that basically at this point OpenAI is just a you know AI research house mm -hmm. outsourced research house for for Microsoft and mm. that's the reason why why Microsoft is introducing more and more GPT based products right. into their uh, into their um, office so yeah, 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 yeah for instance MS Office yeah. so I'm, I'm I'm happy to be using this Bing with 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 uh, GPT right mm, and so of course those those companies are very active on the field of lobbying and, and persuading um, legislators to 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 uh, who, who work on the uh, on the AI Act and from uh, what I've gathered and, and and I think Politico wrote a piece about it some time ago that 
up till late last year, uh, Microsoft and Google, who are, as I mentioned, their adversaries in a way in this mm-hmm. new, new emerging um, AI market, um, they've been uh, lobbying hard the uh, um, MEPs uh, not to regulate general purpose AI at all. Right. So it wouldn't have this specific provisions that. Um, that define what, um, what 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 different actors within this smaller AI ecosystem can do, but what it um, the, the direction that uh, the regulatory regulatory work seems to be heading is uh, to 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 create a different set of rules for um, general purpose AI systems mm-hmm. who would divide the responsibilities and liabilities between the. Um, uh, b- 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 between developers and, right. and those who provide those technologies, either developed it themselves or imported from 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 somewhere else, and the deployers, who are earlier called users, but mm-hmm. now no, it's, it's definitely uh, a clarification. Uh, so so um, deployers would have certain yeah. responsibilities, and in a way, it's a good direction because um, one of the things that Panopticon and the whole a European digital rights um, network that, that we're a part of, um, we're fighting from the very beginning, procedure called the fundamental rights impact assessment. Mm-hmm. So uh, an obligation on deployers of certain high-risk AI systems mm-hmm. to audit it and monitor it afterwards, audit it prior to putting it on the market and then monitor it as long as it's uh, being used, analyzing the potential risks both to rights of natural persons mm-hmm. and uh, other uh, spheres such as uh, democracy or, or the environment. Right. This is, this is so super is crucial. This, yeah, so there is an element there where you're trying to secure democratic rights and freedoms, liberties, fundamentals like uh, this. I think in a way we're doing uh, work that the EU should be doing yeah. because um, once uh, you, and by you I mean the collective entity of, mm-hmm. of the European Union, so it's a metaphor, but once you uh, come up with a term and a vision of, of uh, human-centered artificial intelligence mm-hmm. and uh, you know the European way for, for an AI-powered future, well, then those provisions have to be there because, right. because it's, uh, you know, most technologies uh, have the potential to wreak havoc. But when it comes to the AI, particularly when you take into consideration the, the origins of, of this technology, mm-hmm. which are purely military, mm-hmm. from the very beginning, it was supposed to be a technology that, that can be applied for, for um, defensive or offensive yeah. purposes. So this year, here we are, it's, it's, it's available for everyone. Exactly. You just type it in in Google and okay. So the, this European way, so that's, that's an interesting, that's an interesting angle to go down. When we look at the AI boom, there was the, the, the revolution behind chat GPT is that there's a, obviously a worrying trend, right? Just when I look at it, you look at the money, that is basically piled into it and the outputs, right? So put let's put this into perspective. In, in 2012, DeepMind had a grant of $23 million. This was 2012. Now it's 12 years later, eight organizations just raised 20 billions uh, for, for its usage. So this is a crazy jump and it's probably just, just the beginning. So what, But what I find interesting is this kind of transnational approach to it. So the U.S. seems to be taking this approach and maybe it's more the security related aspect and that's why. Let's throw money at it. Let these organizations experiment. Um, let's see where this goes and, and let's have at it. Whereas in Europe, it seems more 
like not that we're running scared from this end, but just kind of trying to say, well, let's regulate it. Let's try to understand, the, as you said, the reasoning behind why it was there in the first place. So it's kind of this issue between innovation versus regulation. And I'm just wondering if I'm like depicting this in the right way. Is there this US-EU divide or... Uh, I would I would also include China. Oh yeah, tell picture. me, please. China has been uh, catching up with, with the, um, you know, scientific progress and yeah. in many ways has been first uh, at first it was uh, very often copying certain certain um, solutions and certain methods of achieving scientific and technological progress but at this point uh, when you look at the number of publications mm-hmm. uh, US is still ahead but it's being chased very closely by China and well in fact when I'm talking about the number of scientific publications here uh, Europe as a whole is mm-hmm. is, is uh, has a strong third place mm-hmm. and uh, uh, there is uh, definitely a potential in, in in at least in you know there is a brain power uh, in Europe the problem starts uh, once uh, more money is needed mm-hmm. and um, you know the EU is a huge market but right. it's not a single state right and you've got uh, you know every single country has a uh, Uh, very specific um, AI policies, or at least should have. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of them do have, and, and 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 very often they support their own initiatives and their own companies, and and it's very easy to understand. Uh, it's hard to persuade the you know Portuguese taxpayer to 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 send money to a you know promising startup yeah. in Estonia. Exactly. Uh, but uh, if we want to um, you know stay in the race, there needs to be this it, collective. There has action. to be some um, resource pooling mm-hmm. on, on Europeans' behalf. And if something worries me about the AA Act, uh, not just as a piece of legislation, but 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 more of a, uh, as a policy, right. is the fact that um, I hope it doesn't happen. Um, but it's it's it seems like Europe is focusing more on regulation, which mm-hmm. is great because we need to regulate this technology. It's very important. Mm-hmm. But you cannot achieve, uh, you know, scientific or business progress just by regulation. Right. You need to spend money. Sure. You need to choose uh, the best projects. And what's even more important because it's you know the European Research Council, um, you know, it provides a lot of. Um, a lot of millions of, of euros for 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 AI uh, oriented research, but the problem is that once uh, certain technology is mature enough that it can be uh, it can enter the market, it's very often the US um, yeah. backed capital that's more interested yeah. and uh, with the perhaps more uh, flexible regulations uh, on the on the on the US market, it's uh, very attractive for mm-hmm. for European entrepreneurs to to go to the states. So. Um, I'm we've seen uh, that across a lot of different so so areas. I would say that that's the main difference and then there's China mm-hmm. which is a completely different system it's invested billions of dollars into both the academia and and, and the commercial side of um, the development of, of AI but uh, and it's been very successful mm-hmm. we you know it's it's the second or third year that the whole world is talking about TikTok yeah why is TikTok so successful because yeah. of the algorithm imagine imagine all the data that TikTok collects yeah being used being fed into such a such a large language models but of course it's wow. uh, we, we should be We should be skeptical, uh, no matter uh, who does that. 
But this is really important, the question of the economics behind it. I was trying to even understand for myself if there is any CEE specificity, because this is a global revolution, right? And I just, I, I, I guess when you look at the debate of those who are kind of against it or for it, it kind of goes along. If you take out the ethics, it goes along the economic and on one side, it's, you know, you have higher efficiency and then critics will say, yeah, but at what cost, right? So then the worry is, is that you might flourish some sort of overall productivity, but then what happens with, you know, all of these other jobs? Yeah. And it's a wrong way to frame it, I think, because when you look at different, when different revolution, industrial revolutions happen, it's kind of like, yeah, of course, there were some jobs that were no longer there, but then so many others came into fruition. So I don't know if that's going to be the case here, but I guess it's just, um, you know, where are we on this scale? Like, have we just started investing and it's only going to get more intense? Have we just started with AI actually taking over functions and roles of, uh, you know, certain jobs and things like that? And does it mean anything for our region at all? There is no consensus. Uh, I haven't seen um, sound models uh, that uh, would even uh, provide us with good arguments that the AI revolution will indeed increase the growth of, of the economy. It's, it's not a given. If 30% of the labor force becomes unemployed, right. when why should it matter that those systems are more effective if there are less people who can afford it. Exactly. And so it opens a completely new yeah. variety of questions. And even if this unemployment is temporary, well, what does temporary mean? Like yeah. if you kick somebody out of the job when he's 50, yeah. uh, like, uh, is it feasible that, that, that he or she will... Will, will will eagerly learn a new job and be a productive yeah. member of the society. Democratically well, elected representatives are not going to go for that. You know and I mean? and and then there's the democratic part, uh, yeah. which is which is also which is also something that we should take into consideration. But uh, bringing this, uh, when I uh, think of uh, the angle of of uh, Central and Eastern Europe, mm -hmm. so the pr first problem is is the fact that our companies are are, are uh, lagging behind when it comes to implementing of new technologies. Companies, particularly small and medium companies, are not really digitally savvy, right. to put it mildly. Right. A lot of uh, companies do not even have a website, mm -hmm. and we're talking about advanced AI systems right. that can be dangerous not only for the society, but also for the company. Mm -hmm. The second, perhaps it's not a problem, but it's a challenge, is the fact that our economies very often run on very small companies. Right. Very often it's just technically, we could call them freelancers, but yeah. it's just one person who runs frequently multiple businesses and tries to get yeah. by. Before we are afraid of the, you know, the potentially emerging suprahuman being, uh, you know, the artificial general intelligence, the Terminator, <laughs> the HAL 3000. Yeah. We should be looking more closely to those administrators, politicians, right. technocrats in a way that are, are going to be employing those systems in very often very significant aspects of our lives. So this is, in my in my opinion, uh, a perspective that the Central and Eastern Europe should bring to the table. But in a way, you know, the Polish citizen or Hungarian citizen were kind of stuck between the Scylla and Charybda mm -hmm. of, uh, you know, the, the multinational big tech, be it American or Chinese, yeah. and the 
government who is very often um, displaying authoritarian uh, tendencies. So, and there has to be a place for uh, for fundamental rights, for for democracy, for our values, because otherwise we should be just following the Chinese example. If yeah. if we don't care about individual rights and we we believe that technology can save us from you know all the potential problems, if we're technological solutionists. It's a crucial time because we either come up with uh, certain uh, legal and, and, and democratic tools to save us from ourselves, basically, yeah. not from the technologies, yeah. from ourselves. Or we'll use the technology to actually do anti-democratic actions. Or we'll use to, to, to the technology to do anti-democratic mm -hmm. actions, mm -hmm. but we won't win the AI race no. anyways, because when you compare the spending, it's, 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 it's impossible to, to take over the US or China. So we should be focusing on, on, on providing both of those countries with, with a certain, uh, with a certain uh, model of, of how those technologies can be implemented. And it's not a utopia. We've seen this happening with GDPR, mm -hmm. which was also considered, uh, you know, like a very um, innovation stifling piece of regulations. Mm -hmm. And it turns out that uh, at least from what I gather, it's the U.S. citizens are also benefiting from the fact that yeah. the European Union has 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 um, has implemented such provisions. Mm -hmm. uh, we call it the Brussels effect, mm -hmm. and let's hope that uh, in a couple of years we'll be talking about the AI Brussels effect <laughs> and not the AI Chernobyl, exactly. uh, which which is uh, very likely to take place if we don't put any safeguards prior to, to, to implementing this very often spectacular and wonderful, but yet dangerous technologies. Well, let's hope that the Brussels effect is our future. Philip, thank you so much. We really appreciate you joining us. Thank you. It's been a pleasure.